the free for all roundtable. Round two. On round two, let's have at it. Uh, Jamal Myers is here, Toronto City Councilor and TTC Chair. Uh, music teacher and People's Voice Award winner Michelle Morrow is here, and Bob Richardson, Senior Counsel at National Public Relations. And uh, since I just went on a tear about subway service in Toronto, maybe I'll give you a right of reply, Jamal Myers. I just, I find it so frustratingly unreliable that, you know, I had to walk on Friday because once again, we had had something going on. I realize you're not personally responsible for somebody walking at track level as what seems to have been the problem. But why is the TTC so unreliable? You know, it's some it's a frustration I have. I take the TTC all the time almost every day. There are just so many issues of how we do subway service uh that really slow down the system um in terms of, you know, for example, um making sure that we get these work orders done and then things sort of pile up and, you know, that eventually leads to some sort of breakdown or just having people on the station sort of monitoring whether monitoring, trying to prevent people from, you know, accessing the track level. Uh, there's just so many issues that we have to deal with and we really do have to get better. Uh, however, I will say, you know, part of this budget, we are going to 97% pre-COVID service levels, um, by September, uh, we're start. We're going to start having Line Five, Eglinton Crosstown, and Line Six, Finch West LRG. Hopefully, starting uh, in September this year. So things are improving. They are getting better. It's just very, very frustrating uh, when the TTC is making you late. Okay, so listen, let's get to the agenda that we set already. And uh, one aspect of that would be your quick sense of uh, Karen Stintz announcing that she wants to run for the federal conservatives. She used to be a city councillor. As a matter of fact, she used to be in charge of the TTC as well. Bob Richardson, is this a get for uh, Pierre Polyev? It is a get for the Conservatives. Uh, I think the Conservatives have not run particularly strong candidates in the last three elections in uh, Toronto and in the greater Toronto area. She was a good councillor. Uh, she's done a very good job running a Variety Village. A uh, good person. And uh, I think it'll be a, a competitive race. She's up against Marco Menducino, uh, I think quite a good MP here in the city of Toronto. Uh, so I think it'll be a bit of an epic battle. Michelle Morrow, I've been going back and forth with one liberal insider about this who insists that um, Karen Stintz has, you know, doesn't share a lot of political territory with Pierre Polyev, but she's probably running for the Conservatives because she thinks she can win for them. Isn't that why everyone runs? <laughs> they run because they think they can win. I think it's a great, I think, uh, I think she really does have a chance because she's a well-known name. Um, she's been out of the out of the public eye for a little bit so if anyone really disagreed with her politics earlier or her choices they may have forgotten she's done a lot of time um oh my gosh i can't remember the charity that she sat on the board of but she's done uh that's really impressive work so i think it's a great thing uh that's really variety like village i, I think her. which i'm always Thank confusing you. with value village unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> Very different things, but I see. I could. Do, I would see myself doing that as well. No, I really like her. I think she's got a great chance. I don't like that she's running under Pierre Polyev, but I will. I, I would guess I would have to get over that if I was in her riding. Yeah, Jamal Myers. This reminds me. Back in the '90s, there was a caucus of Liberal MPs who were actually conservatives, but they ran under Jean Chrétien because they knew they could win. Yeah, I mean, I don't know Karen Stintz's uh, political background. I've met her a few times, and you know, she has a very uh, well-regarded reputation at City Hall as someone who works effectively with others and can get things done. 
And if, you know, the Conservatives are going to form the next government, it's important that we have good representation from Toronto in the area. So I agree with Bob. Uh, it's really a good sign to see them uh, attracting these types of candidates in Toronto uh, to make sure that whatever happens in the next federal election, we have good representation at the cabinet table. Justin Trudeau's government apparently thinking of trying to rebrand carbon pricing. Michelle Morrow, I don't know if there's any way to brand carbon pricing to make people like it. I, I completely agree. And there's not there's not been a clear um, message out there to what it actually accomplishes. Like I as I'm on the show, I love politics. I love talking this sort of thing. And if someone asked me what the carbon tax actually did, I would be so lost. <laughs> so I think we're past the point where we can actually physically explain how it benefits us if it benefits us. And it's just it's just now um, a live wire for people to touch, for people to blame for what's happening in the economy. And I really think it's it's part of what sinks the liberals. Oops, I think we just lost Michelle. But listen, I know where you're headed. And Jamal Myers, I'll turn to you now because um, there, like I said, I don't think there's any way to brand the carbon tax. And I think the liberals have realized for Pierre Polyev, it's a winner. You know, the sad thing is the, the carbon rebate, as we should be calling it, uh, it's actually good, sound public policy. Most economists agree that this is the way to start reducing carbon emissions. And, you know, for all this talk about the Conservatives and the Conservative leader having this great communication style, I still haven't heard them articulate their own climate policy. Yes, it's easy to, um, you know, denigrate what the government's done uh, and to simply brand it as the carbon tax. Well, what's the Conservative plan to reduce carbon emissions? And I'm very interested in hearing that part of the discussion, which we haven't to this point. Yeah, Bob Richardson, actually, I just cashed my uh, rebate last week. It was great. And I have no idea whether I'm on the plus or minus side when it comes to my carbon consumption. Yeah, this thing is poorly explained. It's been poorly executed. I got I got my check. And I was trying to figure out for the first few minutes why the government was sending me a check. I totally forgot about uh, uh, that. It, that it was related to the ca- uh, carbon tax. It is a really th- this is the new coke of politics. This is one of the worst marketing campaigns that's <laughs> ever happened. And they've and they've got to clean it up and at least explain to people what it's about, what it's doing, and and why we're doing this. And they've they've utterly failed at that. It sounds like a horrible way to characterize the situation, but there's no other way to say it. Uh, Medical assistance in dying is very popular in Canada, more popular than it is in other jurisdictions where it's offered. And Bob Richardson, let me come back to you. Uh, 4% of all deaths are medically assisted suicides. So I don't know if it's necessarily, you know, the panic that a lot of people think it is, but it is an astonishing development how quickly Canadians have embraced this. Yeah, I, I think it's. Uh, it, I'm a little worried uh, seeing this. I thought it was supposed to be a law for exceptional uh, circumstances, provide compassion to people, and uh, I hate to put it this way, but you know, it's a way out uh, under very, very difficult cir- circumstances for some families. I think those numbers, four percent in, in 2022, that's thirteen thousand deaths, and it leads the world in in terms of numbers. I find that a little worrisome, and I think uh, the people who are running this program and the people responsible for it in government should have a look and just make sure that it isn't being excessively used or um, getting to the point where it becomes uh, kind of like uh, an everyday option.
Yeah, and that does seem to be the concern, Jamal Myers, especially as we contemplate expanding medical assistance and dying for people with mental health issues. And there's also, who doesn't know somebody who is aging and has said, I don't want to be a bother. That's not what MAID was for. Yeah, I share Bob's concerns. Uh, I thought the numbers were pretty alarming. 4% of all deaths in Canada are under MAID. I, and I, what's really concerning for me is that I there's no sense as to whether or not uh, other factors uh, such as like homelessness, poverty, um, maybe addiction are also playing roles in whether or not people choose to end their lives. And there doesn't really seem to be any consistent standards as to how this is applied nationally. Uh, so when we now are talking about expanding it to people with mental health, I really think we need to take a second look as to what are the rules, not guidelines, what are the actual rules around medically assisted uh, dying and making sure that people are not just using this as an option because, you know, they're dealing with other issues and they just, you know, they sort of given up hope. Uh, this is a this is a law that was designed for specific circumstances. I think that's how most Canadians envisioned it. Um, and it seems like it's being expanded beyond that. And we haven't had that discussion about what are the acceptable parameters. Michelle Morrill, your thoughts? I I feel like made is a is a very important tool. I think it gives people control uh, who are very ill, who um, people with ALS and that sort of thing. So uh, as much as there's criticism, I am, I am wary to criticize it myself because I know that that is an, uh, that not having that option would be very detrimental to people who, who have lost so much control in their lives. Um, I feel like it is a really, uh, I hate the term slippery slope, but I don't know yeah. what else to use that allowing people to have control. How, how far do we allow people to go? But I'm also of the belief that if you have been through so much in your life, mental health wise, and you've had multiple attempts at suicide, why am I keeping you alive for my, for my comfort? If someone has been through so many years of struggling and to the point where they, there's been mental uh, multiple suicide attempts or they they can't hold a job and they can't they don't feel like a um, there's a point of going on and they've been through all these steps with therapy who am i to say that they are they need to live for my peace of peace of mind we'll find out in the 9am news what has been revealed this morning by the provincial government i don't know if there's going to be all that much that is new about it so in some ways this feels like deja vu but we're talking about service ontario moving to staples and other outlets and jamal myers um, i know some people think that this is sort of an existential theoretical thing where no 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 you can't ever move government services into the private sector they'll take them over and start over billing whatever i just i, I don't see that concern on this front uh, I I share that uh, sentiment. I mean, we use Canada Post and Shoppers Drug Mart all the time, and they're quite convenient, and they're more accessible than just a regular standalone Canada Post office. Uh, I think it's healthy for governments to exper experiment with new ways of delivering services more efficiently. Uh, I think this is smart to put these... Uh, locations and places that people are already congregating so that wouldn't just be staples that would be libraries that would be municipal offices uh i think this, so i think this is the way to go and from what i understand it's actually cheaper to do this uh i do share some concern that um you know this was done on a sole source basis without sort of that competitive uh bidding process but I think uh, in terms of delivering services, this is the way to go forward. And just within the last few seconds, as a matter of fact, as part of that presser this morning, it was confirmed that these changes will take effect or start taking effect on the 1st of February. Uh, Bob Richardson. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm being far too nice to conservatives this, mo- uh, this morning, but I think this is perfectly reasonable. I think, uh, you know, I used to go to the Canadian Tire at Young and uh, Davenport to get my license. It worked fine for me. Um, I think it's reasonable as long as it's, you know, they're providing good service. They're close to the community. It lowers the cost. I don't know why we wouldn't look at this and uh, why would why we wouldn't allow it to uh, happen. And, and the thought that somebody at... Uh, at at uh, the store would be uh, trying to uh, drive business. Well, of course they're trying to drive business. They're, they're not doing this for free. So expect there. I, I expect that there would be synergies. If there are synergies, great. And if it uh, works, great. Yeah, Michelle Morrow, I, I went to the exact same Canadian Tire the last time when my license plates were stolen and I had to get new ones. And it was kind of fun to be at, uh, at Canadian Tire. Yeah, I think it's a great idea, uh, especially if it's a way to save money. That's all we seem to be talking about with the governments lately is how we need to cut corners. And if it allows people a safer place to go, I know there's a service in Ontario not far from me, which is an, an interesting part of town. And so the fact that uh, there's one that is in a well-lit mall or in a well-lit structure somewhere they, where people feel safe going, especially people who perhaps don't get out as often or who need a little bit of extra help, then I think this is a great idea. Thanks a lot for this. Good to have you all. Jamal Myers, Michelle Morrow. Bob Richardson. And yeah, my trip to Canadian Tire to replace my license plates was mostly flawless, except because I didn't have license plates on my car, I couldn't drive it. So I took public transit. And then I got there and they said, oh, we need your VIN number. I said, well, my car's not here. I couldn't drive my car. And then then when I finally did get the license plates, I wanted to get some screws to put them in and and the clerk said, well, you know, what size screws do you need? You know, can you go check your car? I don't have my car. It was, it was an unfortunate catch-22 situation. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.